0: You know very well that every year during this month, the month of December, many people in our society prepare for this, this holiday, the Christmas holiday. And one of the traditions of this holiday season is to hang lights all over things. We decorate our homes and businesses and trees and bushes with lights, simply for the purpose of looking at those lights and admiring those lights and Appreciating those lights. So we've grown accustomed to looking at lights. But it might surprise you to hear that there's a sense in which that can cause a problem for us when it comes to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with hanging lights for decoration, but the point is this Jesus is not a light just to be looked at, He is a light to be followed. So on this Christmas Eve, I want us to focus our thoughts on some passages of Scripture from the Gospel of John, and then we'll zero in on one in particular where Jesus claims to be the light of the world. Now, just by way of background, the Gospel of John, to which you are open now, is very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For example, two of those three Gospels record some of the events around the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem As we heard earlier in the service, I read to you out of Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. We could have read from Matthew's gospel, where he tells about the birth of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. But interestingly, John does not begin his gospel with the birth of Jesus. John begins further back. John begins with eternity. Look at the very opening statement in John's gospel. John chapter 1 Verse 1 says, in the beginning, now not the beginning of Jesus' life here on the earth, in the beginning of time, in the very beginning, this, this phrase ties us in with Genesis 1.1, which says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So John begins in a similar fashion. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is this one who is called the Word? Well, that question is answered for us down in verse 14, where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John calls Jesus the Word because Jesus came to this earth bringing the Word of God and modeling the Word of God. So even though John doesn't tell us about the birth of Jesus, he certainly has a lot to say about this one who came from earth or came from heaven to earth as a baby and grew to be a man jesus is the living word of god who modeled for us the precepts of the written word of god but the existence of jesus did not begin in bethlehem in a manger that's what john wants us to understand That was not the beginning of Jesus, if you will. Jesus was already in existence before that time. In in fact, he existed from all eternity because he is God the Son. This explains for us why Jesus was able to make the claims he made throughout his life and ministry. And I want us to focus on one of those in particular found over in chapter 8. So turn over a few pages to John chapter 8. And notice this monumental claim by Jesus in verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, we have grown accustomed to looking at lights. We look at the beautiful lights of Christmas, which decorate homes and buildings and trees and bushes. In fact, many people make it one of the traditions of this time of the year to just drive around and observe the lights and the decorations and and the, the beautiful arrangements. But the idea of merely looking at lights can cause us a problem when it comes to our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Because as we see here, Jesus is not a light just to be looked at. He is a light to be followed. To say it another way, He is a light to be obeyed. And that's where the problem is. Most people in our society are content just to look at Jesus or admire Him or appreciate Him. But very few really follow Him with their lives. Yet in this text, verse 12, Jesus calls us to follow Him as the light of the world. Many people come to church at this time of the year, at the Christmas season. And yet all they do is look at the light. They observe the light. They never do anything about it. They don't follow. So the thrust of this passage has relevant applications to every one of us gathered here this evening. Here in verse 12, Jesus makes the claim to be the light of the world. Furthermore, he says, "...he who follows me shall not walk in darkness... But have the light of life. By the way, this is the second time in the Gospel of John that Jesus makes one of these amazing I am statements. Back up a couple chapters to chapter 6 to see the first one. And we'll just do a quick survey of these I am claims of Jesus because they are remarkable. Chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now in Western society, our Western society, it's really hard for us to appreciate the magnitude of this claim because for us, bread is often optional. But in that day and age, it was an essential staple of life. So here in verse 35, Jesus is claiming to be the essential ingredient in life. That is the first of the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. The second one is our key verse for tonight, John chapter 8, verse 12. That's the second one. The third one is also in chapter 8, but a little bit later, a few verses later. Look at chapter 8, verse 24. This is the third I am statement by Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 24. Therefore I said to you, this is Jesus speaking, You will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Notice that the word he, here in this verse, is in italics, where it says, if you do not believe that I am he, it's italicized, which means it's not in the original language. So to catch the full impact of what Jesus was claiming here, the he should be left out. Read it this way If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Why does Jesus say this? If you do not believe that I am what? What is he talking about? The answer to that question is found in Exodus chapter 3, where God revealed to Moses his personal name, Yahweh, which means I am. I am or Yahweh is the personal name of God. So what Jesus is saying here is this. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And when he says that, he is saying, if you do not believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. What a remarkable assertion. Jesus says, if you do not believe in his deity, you will die in your sins. That is the third I am statement recorded in John's gospel. Then look down near the end of the chapter to verse 58, where we have another one. Chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That is another claim to deity. And the audience of this statement knew exactly what Jesus was saying. In fact, look at their response in the next verse, verse 59, says then they took up stones to throw at him. Now, this doesn't merely mean they were going to pelt him with rocks and make him run. We're talking about, you know, big rocks that you throw to kill someone. They tried to kill him because they knew he was claiming equality with God, and to them that was blasphemous. But the one who was born as a helpless baby in a manger never, ever backed down from this claim. Never throughout his life in ministry. Over in chapter 10, he continues to make these kinds of claims, these I am claims. In chapter 10, verse 9, we read this Jesus said, I am the door. If en- anyone enters by me, he will be saved. It will go in and out and find pasture. And then in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. These are astounding claims by Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. The helpless baby in a manger, was the omniscient, omnipotent God of the universe. And then over in chapter 11, Jesus makes another claim like this. Chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, that is to Martha, whose brother had just died, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So here Jesus claims to be the source of eternal life. Those who trust in him will live even if they die. And then over in chapter 14, Jesus says this same thing in even more of an exclusive manner. Chapter 14, verse 6, notice this I am statement. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, please hear me when I say, look at this verse again, and hear me when I say that this verse, this statement by Jesus, this claim is the stumbling block for people in our world today. This is it. It's okay to talk about religion in our world today. It's okay to talk about God. It's okay to talk about Christianity. It's okay to talk about Islam. It's even okay to talk about Jesus. Unless, unless you say he is the only way to God. It's okay to talk about Jesus at Christmas time. Unless you say he is the only truth and all other religions are in error. It's okay to talk about Jesus at Christmas time unless you say he is the only source of eternal life, and eternal life cannot be found in the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church or the Episcopal Church or any church. When you say things like that, you run cross grain to our society, which, which holds up as the greatest quality tolerance. But this is what Jesus claimed. He claimed to be the way, the truth, the life, the exclusive way to be right with God. Think about it this way. The sweet, little, innocent baby in a manger made exclusive claims that divide humanity right down the middle. What Jesus claimed divides humanity into one of two categories. And then in chapter 15, we see the final I am statement by Jesus in John's gospel. Chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. All of these I am claims are claims of deity. Each one of them tremendously enhances our understanding of the baby in the manger. But I want to just take a few more minutes and focus on that one in chapter 8, which we started with a moment ago. So go back to chapter 8 and look at this statement by Jesus again. Chapter 8, verse 12. To get a running start, keep in mind that in chapter 7, verses 14 through 53, we see Jesus' involvement in the eight-day Feast of Tabernacles held in Jerusalem each year during the month of October. And we know that on the last day of that feast, Jesus made his gracious invitation in chapter 7, verse 37, where John records that this in verse 37, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This was an invitation by Jesus, to anyone, to everyone, to come to him for satisfaction. If you're thirsty in life, you're spiritually thirsty, come to me and I will give you living water. The sad fact is most rejected his invitation, but some responded positively. The next morning, as Jesus was teaching in the temple, the Pharisees, a group of religious leaders, brought to him a woman who had been caught in adultery, The purpose the Pharisees had in mind was to get Jesus in trouble, even to the point of him being killed. But the first few verses of chapter 8 show that Jesus masterfully turned the tables on the hypocritical Pharisees, and they were the ones who were stung, not Jesus. So after the Pharisees walked away, Jesus continued his teaching, and that leads us to chapter 8, verse 12, where we read, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Please notice that Jesus didn't didn't simply claim to be a light of the world, but rather the light of the world. That is an astounding claim. It is either spoken by God in human flesh or it is spoken by an egocentric maniac. You really have no other options. Jesus claimed to be the light of the world. The claim is exclusive, but the offer is inclusive. For those who follow Jesus, he promises light and life. And think about it. Those are the two things men and women need most. Dead men need life, and blind men need light. And the Bible teaches us that outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead and we are spiritually blind. We need life and light. Later in this gospel, Jesus will graphically illustrate both of these truths by giving life to dead Lazarus and light to a man born blind. But the amazing thing about all of this is that not many people want what Jesus offers here. He says, I am the light of the world. Follow me as the light of the world, and you will have life and light. But most people don't want it. You know why? Well, we don't have to guess. We were told the reason back in chapter 3. Back up just a few pages. Chapter 3 tells us the reason. Chapter 3, verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed, but he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. What are those verses saying? They're saying this the reason most people don't want the light is because they want to do what they want to do. Just put it in just put it in those common everyday type of words, that common language. People don't want the light because they want to do what they want to do. I was having an interaction recently with a lady who said, well, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus or Christianity because there are some very intelligent people who do believe in him and there are some very intelligent people who don't believe in him. There are some very intelligent people who do believe that Christianity is accurate and there are some very intelligent people who don't believe it. And my response was, the issue is not intelligence. The issue is always comes back to a moral-slash-volitional issue. The reason people don't believe in Jesus is not an intellectual one. It's a moral one. They don't want to because they don't want someone else being king. They want to do what they want to do. They want to live how they want to live. They don't want someone else calling the shots. Intelligence isn't the issue. This is the issue. John says here the light is coming in the world, but most people don't want it because they don't want to be told what to do. They want to do what they want to do. So the sad truth of the matter is that Jesus' offer in chapter 8 as the light of the world falls on deaf ears for the most part. But that's his offer. Go back there to chapter 8. And notice again that he says, not only I am the light of the world, but he says, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Please notice That Jesus is a light to be followed. Many people, many people in our society are impressed with Jesus. They are intrigued with Jesus or interested in Jesus. You could even say there are many people in our society who are appreciative of Jesus. But that's not enough. Jesus calls us to follow him. It's not enough just to mentally assent to the fact that he's the Savior. It's not enough just to like him. It's not enough to say some little prayer. It's not enough to walk an aisle in response to an invitation. It's not enough just to see the light or admire the light. Jesus calls us to follow him, to to obey him. That's what he calls for here in verse 12. Somehow we've missed this today. We talk about receiving the Lord, believing in him, having faith in him. And well, we should. Those are all biblical phrases and biblical concepts. But let's never forget that those are all synonyms for following him. That's what Jesus calls for here. He calls for people to follow him. So what should our response be to this claim? Let me be more personal. What should your response be to this claim? Well, we don't. Have, again, we don't have to guess because we have one other passage we're going to look at here in John that gives us an application for us in parting tonight. It's over in chapter 12. Turn over just a few pages to chapter 12. And notice how Jesus builds on this same theme of being the light of the world and calling people to follow him. Look at chapter 12, and he says in verse 35, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. In other words, take advantage of the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. Lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. That you may become sons of light. And then these foreboding words, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. That was their last opportunity, to believe in the light, to embrace the light, to follow the light. And I tell you, tonight, please hear me, there is coming a time, there is coming a time when it's going to be too late to follow the light. There's coming a time when it's going to be too late to believe in the light. If you wait until then, Scripture says that you will be cast into a place called, this is interesting, outer darkness where the Bible says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, the weeping will be probably in part due to the fact that people will realize it's too late. It's too late. They had the opportunity, missed the opportunity, the light's gone. Don't put off the decision to follow Jesus. Let go of your self-will And give in to following Him. Don't go through another Christmas in spiritual darkness. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And He calls us to follow Him. Not just admire Him. Not just appreciate Him. To follow Him. So I ask you in closing tonight this simple question. Please think about it. Are you following Jesus Christ? Please hear the question. I didn't say, do you believe he existed? Do you acknowledge that he existed? Do you believe he was born in a manger? And No, 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 that's not the issue. Are you following him? I didn't ask, do you admire him? Do you appreciate him? Do you respect him? No, are you following him? Do you belong to him? That's the issue that faces every one of us on this Christmas Eve. Let's bow together as we pray. And as we bow our heads in closing, please, please, because of the seriousness of the question, ask yourself, are you following Jesus Christ? Not merely do you acknowledge he existed and lived. Are you following him with your life? That is what Jesus calls us to do. Father, as we think about these thoughts from John's gospel, centering in on that tremendous claim in chapter 8, these are are issues with eternal implications, eternal ramifications. And oh, oh, how important it is for us to understand, for people in our society to understand that simply believing in Jesus with intellectual assent, simply believing he was born of a virgin and placed in a manger and all of that, is insufficient. Certainly we need to believe the facts of the gospel, but it's more than just facts. It's a belief of volition, a belief of choice, a belief of surrender. It is following the Lord Jesus. So Father, I pray for each and every one here that we would wrestle with that question, and come to terms with, come to grips with that question. Do we really follow the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? We pray these things in his matchless and exalted name. Amen.